1: Is there no end to your own hypocrisy? Your God is power, you have no shame. Your only interest is political gain. You hide your eyes and refuse to listen. You play your game. Coming up next, America, Can We Talk with your host, Debbie
0: Georgiatos. And hello and welcome to America, Can We Talk? This is our last show from vacation from August, uh Thursday show. I'm doing this from out of town. And um, next week, I'll be back in my beautiful studio in Dallas, Texas. And But I'm so grateful. I want to thank Real News PR for enabling me to keep doing this show while we're out in California visiting family and friends. And today for our Thursday show, we have, you know, I always try on our Thursday shows to have an in-depth, serious, substantive interview with one thought leader, one expert, and today we're very honored to have joining us Gordon Chang. He has joined us in the past many times. Gordon Chang is a, a nationally, in fact, internationally renowned expert on China. Um, he is a, a contributor at Gatestone Institute, which he, where he writes brilliant articles, Newsweek. He's also the author of numerous, numerous books, which I will show you what they look like in just a moment, but he's the author of The Coming Collapse of China, Nuclear Showdown, North Korea Takes the World, losing South Korea and the great US-China tech war. And I will tell you, the experts in foreign policy I know that I have had on my show many times over the years all turn to Gordon Chang, but they want to focus on China and what America needs to understand about what China has in mind for the world, what China is doing currently, as well as what they have in mind for uh, the future of America. So I'm welcoming to the show, Gordon Chang. Thank you so much, Debbie. Great to see you, sir. Just uh, so appreciate it. I'm always honored when you're available. Just great to see you. And, you know, China's in the news so much that I have too many piles of papers in front of me to of topics I want to go over. But uh, one thing that I want to just start with, um, and I actually I do want to have you, have us show our listeners uh, your books and what they're all about. You are the author, as I mentioned, of The Coming Collapse of China. I believe we have that. I don't know if we have that... Um, to show okay, coming collapse of China, nuclear showdown, North Korea uh, takes the world, losing South Korea. I believe Ziggy was going to have those ready to show our audience, so we'll come back in a minute and see if we have those ready. Um, but I want to jump in on this first topic, which as I told you before we started, could probably take the whole show. Um, and that is an article that, at least to my knowledge, uh, I wasn't aware of it until a few weeks ago. In fact, um, I had Patrick Byrne on the show who was talking about a whole bunch of other things. And t- really toward the end of the show, we we're talking about, you know, Biden and China and all of that. And he, uh, Patrick Byrne, mentioned this, um, to, in, in fact, after the show, texted me the link to this article called The Secret Speech of General, I'm going to let you pronounce the name, but it is an astounding speech that was given by the defense minister in China to high-level communist party and he calls it cadres, you might say criminals, but high level Chinese party people uh, that talks about China's long term goals and what they intend to do, would like to do uh, in the world. So it was a speaker. And I'll just go to you. First of all, this gentleman's name, secret speech of. Qi Ha Haotian. haotian. So General Haotian. General Qi. Okay, General Shi. Thank you. Even easier, General Xi, Okay, so you know what I I I told you before we started. I reread it this morning. I'll just back up and say this: Americans get confused about China. On the one hand, we thought the biggest problem they had was that they sometimes took our technology or ga- grabbed uh, because of in trade deals they would get a hold of our uh, copyrighted things or inventions. But you've been really uh, just a tremendous national figure in America trying to raise the alarm bells about what China's long-term intentions are, what they think their right place is in the world, and what they plan to do, uh, their long-term plans for taking dominance in the world. And um, I will mention, the um, and you've written and spoke about it so much, and now it seems like so many things you have been warning and describing are coming to fruition. And before we get, get to General Xi's speech, I just want to mention briefly something we talked about in the past many times. This book came out, that became available to Americans called Unrestricted Warfare. And it was written by Chinese military officials. Can you just briefly summarize what that is and what that's describing as China's mission? In 1999,
1: uh, then two Chinese Air Force colonels wrote this book, Unrestricted Warfare. And basically, it's, it's as the title says, that China is entitled to use any tactics, no matter, now, no matter how underhanded, no matter how belligerent or dangerous, to destroy the United States. And, and that's their goal. Um, it's not to compete with us within the existing international system. It is to rule the world. You know, a lot of people will say, well, China is trying to supplant the U.S. as the world's most powerful country. I don't have a problem with that as a theoretical matter. If you want to compete with us and you outcompete us, then, you know, that's your, you know, your privilege. But the point is that China is not competing in the international system. It's trying to destroy that system. And the methods that China is employing to, quote unquote, compete with us um, are predatory, criminal, dangerous, belligerent. So, this is a fight to the finish, and Americans don't want to actually think about it being an existential challenge, but it is. So, when Biden tells you that we're just competitors, that's wrong. Um, China is an enemy. China calls us an enemy, and we
0: need to acknowledge that. I love that you're saying that. And I, I will say exactly what you just said. You do hear people say, well, you know, you just, you're just too strongly defending America and trying to take the position that America is the only country that should ever have uh, superiority in anything. And that's not it at all. America is not setting out and is not engaged in the policy of destroying China, of destroying China as a country. It is just trying to maintain its own identity and its own place and its economy, its sovereignty. But this mission of China described in that one book I mentioned, by the way, for our happy listeners, You can buy Unrestricted Warfare on Amazon. And if you haven't, you should do that. Um, I don't have it with me, I have it at home, but it's not long and it really helps wake you up to recognizing what China really thinks about their, not just that they want to take us over, but by any means possible including things that are very dangerous and, that, and things that we don't see necessarily at first blush as warfare. They don't, we don't see it as warfare, but, but they do. But I'm gonna turn to the secret speech of General Chi. And the reason this is so uh, consequential, so important, um, is that he's giving this speech, not intending for America to hear. He's giving this speech uh, in 2003 before his retirement uh, is a uh, defense minister, Qi, General Chi, Qi, to high-level Communist Party leaders. And I'll tell you one of the most alarming things uh, that I found in the very beginning, and I'd love to have your reaction, uh, Gordon Chang, is in the beginning, he, he starts it well, talking about a survey the Chinese Communist Party has done of the Chinese people and deliberately did it online to get the people a little more savvy and educated who can get online asking them essentially is the next generation, are you willing to shoot, are you willing to shoot, as with a gun, shoot, women, children and prisoners of war? And he's celebrating because the answer came back from this poll they did and who knows if it's true, he could be making this up, but he says they did a poll and an online survey um, and they got the answer that 80% of the respondents to the poll said yes, in order to defend China they'd be willing to shoot women, children, and prisoners of war. I'll just start with, did that shock you? And then also, what is your reaction to that in terms of what it says about the, the CCP and China? No, it doesn't shock me because in, in
1: that speech, which was released um, um, and reported on around 2005, 2006, um, and basically, uh, General Qi talks about the extermination extermination of all Americans. So shooting prisoners of war is, you know, in the scheme of things, um, not a major point. And, and General Chi's issue was that for China to survive as a nation, it needed to take over North America. That it couldn't take over North America if there were North Americans living in it. So he was talking about using disease um, to kill every American. Um, he also said, well, you know, maybe we'll let a few of them live to be as slaves, um, which was magnanimous of him. Now, um, this has never been confirmed about this speech, but we have uh, subsequent to it learned a lot that uh, indicates to us that he actually did give that speech. So, for instance, in uh, China right now, which tightly controls discourse, um, people are encouraged to talk about killing and exterminating the United States. And that occurs periodically. So we know that if that is allowed to be um, propagated, that's the Communist Party. Also, we have a fairly good sense that the SARS epidemic um, came from a Chinese biological lab. We don't know that for sure, but there are indications of that. But there is one thing that we do know, Debbie, and that is um, COVID-19. Now, it appears like 99.9% that this came from the Wuhan Institute of Virology and that this was an engineered pathogen. But we don't have 100% proof of that. But there is something that we have 100% proof of, and that is that once this disease got out into the Chinese population, Xi Jinping decided to spread it beyond China's borders. We know this from two things. First of all, Um, In the early uh, months of uh, 2020, in January, and in the preceding month, December 2019, Chinese leaders knew that this disease was highly transmissible human to human, but they specifically told the world it was not. In other words, they were trying to lull public health officials around the world that this was something that they did not have to worry about. And then, while Chinese leaders were locking down their own countries, And I know lockdowns are controversial, but by locking down his own country, Xi Jinping was telling the world that he thought this was an effective way to stop disease. So while he was locking down his own country, he was pressuring other countries, especially the United States, to take arrivals from China without travel restrictions or quarantines. You put those two things together and there is only one conclusion that you can come to, and that is that China deliberately spread this disease. So... That is now about 7 million people around the world have died from this disease outside China. That includes 1.1 million Americans, according to Johns Hopkins. We can argue about the number, but anything above zero is unacceptable. And this means that we have China actually using disease against um, peoples around the world. So uh, that's technically genocide. But there's one other thing, if I can go on, and that is We know that Chinese military technicians are working on what they call specific ethnic genetic attacks. These are attacks caused by pathogens that will leave the Chinese immune and sicken and kill everybody else. And we know about this from the 2017 edition of the Science of Military uh, Strategy, um, which is an authoritative publication of China's National Defense University. So they, they talk about this openly in public, so we know that they're doing this. And that means the next disease from China can be a civilization killer.
0: Wow, okay, well you had a bunch of, I'm so glad, it was a great summary. I, and uh, you had a lot of points that, that were made in the speech. What I want to. why well, I asked that very first question, I wanna contrast with what's happened to America's culture and to the education system in America. What percentage of American youths taking a survey like that or American adults would say, sure, You know, um, if the government told me I have to shoot to kill women, children and prisoners of war, I don't think you I think the American culture has been uh, not just weakened and softened, but really propagandized by the um, by communism, by the ideology of communism and also the dumbing down of the appreciation of America's greatness and goodness, just getting at it. The Chinese people are responding to a survey and say, sure, we kill a bunch of women and children. Why not? Because the, the goal of spreading communism is so important. And I, I don't think we have anything like that. In fact, we have anything, if anything, the opposite of that in America, more people who just think, or think ha- China's harmless and wouldn't act on America to defend it. Do you have any reaction to that? Yeah. Clearly, you know, you ask people in the
1: United States, you ask people in virtually every country in the world, and they would say, no, you can't shoot prisoners of war, whether they're women and children or not. Um, what do you have in China, unfortunately, is a regime that is preaching hatred and xenophobia. And, you know, it's just as simple as that. And they've identified the United States, among a few others, as their enemies. Um, People's Daily, which is the most authoritative publication in China. When People's Daily speak, it's China speaking. Well, People's Daily in May 2019 carried a piece that declared a quote-unquote people's war on the United States. That's a phrase which has great resonance and great importance in Communist Party lingo. And they actually spell out what a people's war is. Um, It's basically total war against another country. And so, you know, this is sort of like, You know, going back to Osama bin Laden, you know, there was the uh, bombing of the World Trade Center in 1993, killing six people in the North Tower. And we Americans paid absolutely no attention to that. Um, And we didn't pay any attention to um, bin Laden until 9-11 when they killed 2,977 Americans on a single day. So we we Americans believe that we're entitled to be oblivious to what our enemies say about us. Um, And we're being oblivious as to what China is saying uh, from a whole range of things. So we have to understand this because we're going to lose our country if we do not take active measures. Um, You mentioned uh, what's happening in our southern border. You mentioned the Fresno Lab. All of these things indicate that China intends, as General Qi said, to exterminate Americans. In that Fresno lab, they found at least Chinese, tw- at least 20 uh, pathogens, um, and they found almost a thousand mice that had been genetically engineered to transmit disease.
0: Absolutely. I you know, I I know I'm i you maybe think I'm overly fixated on this general qi thing, but I want to say one more thing about it. Part of what he's laying out, is gonna turn to the other line of questioning for I think something you wrote that. Part of what he's arguing is the Chinese people have the right and, and not the, the destiny to rule the world. He also talks about the idea that they're, they, they need more land for the Chinese to take over. So he's actually talking about encouraging people in China to believe it is their duty or certainly their right and even their duty to spread out around the world and to claim uh, as a spread of the uh, of the communist people excuse me the chinese people is just two factors it's the spread of communism as the ruling ideology and and themselves as the rulers and also the spread of ethnic chinese individuals out of china into various places and he what struck me is so um kind of heart-stopping and what this he wrote in this speech and by the way for our listeners i'm going to put this up at our website because i really urge you to read this and um it only came to my attention they say like three weeks ago i mean you're saying it's been out for a long time i'd never even seen it but he speaks very cavalierly about, well, you know, there may have to be to kill one or 200 million Americans might seem brutal, might seem brutal. Or in, but he says it will secure a Chinese century in which the CCP rules the world, leads the world. And so he calls it revolutionary humanitarians. He's calling himself that I'm getting at the brutality, the determination to rule the world on behalf of CCP, on behalf of Chinese people. He speaks of death of their own citizens within China, as well as Americans, some of whom will be of Chinese descent. Others are obviously many other uh, nationalities. But all of that is a very pragmatic, almost cavalier dismissal of concerns that, well, yeah, that'll probably have to happen. Uh, And I I do think more awareness of that level of thought, that kind of thought would help Americans to take more seriously what threat we face from China i love to have your reaction. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you started out by saying,
1: there's a lot of news about China. But what you've been talking about gives a context for this. You know, Xi Jinping um, has been propagating the notion that China is the world's only legitimate uh, only state and he's the world's only legitimate ruler. And, you know, we Americans say, oh, that's ridiculous. That's ludicrous. You can't mean that. Well, yes, he can, because we can read what he has said. We can read what Communist Party senior officials have talked about. Um, And, you know, it's, it's now gone beyond planet Earth, because in 2017, China's space officials started talking about the moon and Mars as sovereign Chinese territory. So it's the near parts of the solar system as well as planet Earth. And so we have to understand there are no limits to Chinese ambition and there are no limits to the means that they will employ to get there, which in General Xi's case is mass
0: murder. Absolutely. Um, Yeah, that was part of the, you know, we've been when you and I've spoken before on this show, we've gone through many of the various points of history where speeches were given. One was, I think, 2017, the CCP, this 19th National Congress in Beijing um, Iron Man speech in the Great Hall, just talking about communism um, is the primary objective, the party's supreme ideal, uh, basically talk about, yeah, socialism has some twists and turns, but overall it's a trend. I mean, he sees communism, many people around the world dismiss communism as a clearly failed ideology. He's still yapping away about it becoming the predominant and the sole one. And the same, there, there are many other speeches we could mark where those same kind of statements are given. So. I mean, it's just it's vital to understand how these people think, and then I want to transition to one thing that is you wrote about um, in a Gatestone um, article. It's really a great article called "China is Weaponizing Chinese Worldwide to Support the CCP." So, and it kind of it carries out one of the themes from General Xi's speech back in 2003. It's the idea that the encouragement or push by the CCP to convince people of Chinese origin, living around anywhere in the world, that even though they're not Chinese citizens legally, or or it's not where they're living, they should feel themselves tied to and, and dedicated to supporting the CCP. So do you see steps that you, is China doing that in some way around the world, pushing the idea for Chinese people people of Chinese origin living anywhere in the world to make them feel as though they're supposed to support and be loyal to CCP? Yeah, there's two things, Debbie.
1: First of all, um, the Communist Party makes uh, race-based appeals to Chinese who live in other societies. And as you point out, it doesn't matter whether they are citizens uh, of the People's Republic of China or not. Um, It demands loyalty um, and it's loyalty based on blood. And it continues to make race-based appeals. And it's not just with regard to America, it's in regard to other countries as well. But also what China does is um, many Chinese who live in America, for instance, like I do, have relatives back in China. And Beijing will coerce um, people who live in uh, other countries um, and say, well, look, you know, your relatives in China will have a much easier ride if you cooperate in doing X, Y or Z for the Communist Party. So it weaponized uh, Chinese Americans, for instance, Um And unfortunately, we hear a lot of Chinese Americans um, say things that make other Americans wonder about their loyalty. Um, You know, in in our country, we've got a First Amendment and the First Amendment is like right of free speech, but it's also the right not to speak. So we Chinese Americans, we have a right not to speak. But on the other hand, um, when we have so many Chinese Americans who show more loyalty to Beijing than to um, America, then as a matter of just practicality, we have an obligation to tell other Americans where we stand, because other Americans have a legitimate, I, I think, right to ask, where do you
0: stand? You know, it's interesting you say that, because one thing we've talked about several times and you join me in the show was the, pre- the presence of Confucius Institutes uh, in colleges and universities, and it was a Chinese you know, they would say it was just a wonderful idea to help spread understanding and communication and, you know, cultural understanding between China and America. So these Confucius Institutes are placing colleges. And fortunately, over time, more universities and people in the government in America became aware that what they really were all about was spreading communist ideology and spreading uh, support for communism, denigrating America, denigrating, denigrating the ideas of America's founding and freedom and free markets and capitalism. So many schools have removed them. But it does cause you to realize that the Chinese government creating these these Confucius Institutes were planting people of Chinese origin under the guise of spreading friendliness and understanding and world peace and what they really were accomplishing was spreading communism. And actually that's largely, haven't most universities removed those by now? Um, Yeah, at the height of it, there were about 118 or so Confucius
1: Institutes on college and university campuses. Now there's about 10. Now that number is deceptively low because a lot of the institutes have been rebranded and they are operating under different names. But as as you point out, there has been a concerted effort um, to remove uh, the Confucius Institutes. That's a good thing. But we've got to remember that this is not just Confucius Institutes, this is also Confucius classrooms in secondary schools. And um, we don't know exactly how many they are. Um, There could perhaps be as many as 500, um, as some people believe. Uh, A recent study showed that in 34 states, covering 170,000 American students in K to 12, that there were 134 of these Confucius classrooms. Now, I think that there are more. But the point here, Debbie, is that China uses every point of contact with America just to to try to destroy um, the American way of life. And so we've got to remember that there is nothing that is benign on the part of the Communist Party, whether we're talking about their diplomats, their state banks, their consulates, their are Confucius Institutes. Um, it is all dangerous to the United States.
0: Okay, well, that kind of turning to the next thing that seems dangerous to the United States. I had a border security expert in the show. Um, I don't know when it was, sometime recently, who was talking about, and and, and she sends me things, information all the time. She sent me this uh, article, and she was actually involved in doing this investigation <clears throat> about the number of individuals who are crossing America's southern border, who are of Chinese, they're single men of Chinese military age. And there is concern that there is, is not just, I mean, maybe some people trying to get out of China because they're having economic troubles, but that is, it looks more like uh, a preparation of an invasion or the beginning of a subtle invasion. So I, I know you've commented on before, but do you see this as this flood of numbers? I can give some numbers in a moment, but the number of people Across the American southern border Chinese uh, of Chinese origin, military age, entering America and seem to disappear into the hinterland somewhere. Does that concern you as something that may suggest that China's government is orchestrating this?
1: Oh, um, we have to be absolutely concerned about it. Now, there is, just in general, an unprecedented surge of Chinese migrants into the United States through our southern border. So, for instance, Customs and Border Protection, they said, they had said that the number of apprehensions in the first five months of the current federal fiscal year, in other words, October of last year through February of this year, the number of Chinese migrants was up over a thousand percent. Now, most of the people um, are who they say they are. They just desperate Chinese um, who have given up on on China. But among them are packs of males in five to 15, groups of five to 15, of military age, unaccompanied by family groups, uh, family members who pretend not to speak English. And border protection knows that uh, some of them have links to the Chinese military. So um, I believe that these are saboteurs. The person who's done the most work on this is war correspondent Michael Yon, who is at the Darien Gap. The Darien Gap is um, about 70 miles of jungle in Colombia and Panama. Um, and uh, Chinese migrants, most of them have to cross it by foot because they enter Ecuador, visa-free, and then they make their way up. Then they have to walk through the Darien Gap and then uh, up um, Again, they get on buses in Panama to the Mexico border with the United States. And and Michael has been seeing this phenomena firsthand and he has a lot of fascinating detail, um, which indicates that these are Chinese military saboteurs. These are people that on the first day of war in China, they're going to be um, taking down our grid, they're gonna be poisoning our water, assassinating our officials, detonating bombs in shopping centers, and who knows what else. But we are going to be attacked on our own soil, which means that for the first time since the War of 1812, Americans will face sustained battles against a foreign enemy on American soil. Okay, I can understand why China is doing this, but I can't understand why the Biden administration is, as you pointed out, releasing these mails into the United States and not tracking them?
0: That is exactly the question. In fact, there was a, a hearing recently, Republican chair of the House Homeland Security Committee, Mark Green, former US Army serviceman, a representative from Tennessee, uh, was trying to say this in uh, in a congressional hearing that we have, his expression was, um, Chinese nationals entering America, military age, many of them having known ties to ruling Chinese Communist Party, CCP, and PLA, People's Liberation Army. And so this, this is not something that has been occurring under the radar, meaning the Biden administration is aware of this. They, they can't not be aware. Their own officials are telling them, their border people are, their people in Congress trying to raise it with them, um, as well as um, Melissa Dalton, Assistant Secretary of Defense for Homeland Defense. She told the House Armed Services Committee in March, China, along with Russia, is posing more dangerous challenges to the security and safety of the U.S. homeland. So they're hearing all this, uh, you know, and the Biden, I, I mean, I could give some numbers here, but it gets distracting. But the, the, yeah, it's, it's by orders of magnitude not happening in recent times that the uh, number of military-aged Chinese men are crossing America's border. So what is your, read? what would be the the good reason the Biden administration wouldn't be taking action wouldn't be publicly talking about this, wouldn't be expressing concern, wouldn't be taking action. There's no good reason. A- Amen. Okay, that was the, actually, actually no good reason and very alarming. You could imagine um, many people who pay attention to the situation could imagine a lot of really bad reasons. There's just not a, there's no serious response out of the Biden administration to this seeming, saboteurs entering america you actually answered the next question i was going to ask you is so what if they do come here what is it they could possibly do but when you think about you kind of combine um the mentality from the unrestricted warfare that there are thousands of ways you can fight a country without bombs and bullets flying that you can invade by harming the economy harming water supply harming education harming uh, all sorts of pieces uh, um, of america's fabric or culture and these people are coming into America with ties to the CCP and we're not doing anything about it. It appears we're not doing anything about it. Are you aware of anything we are doing to, to I mean, anything you were, we're doing to fight this? Uh, no. Um, and, and let me sort of connect this with something else we we're talking
1: about, that lab near Fresno. Um, yeah. That was a secret lab um, and there was no um, explanation for that or no benign explanation for that. So. Um, The only thing that we can do, the Biden administration is clearly not doing anything, Um, but the one thing that we Americans can do is we can keep our eyes and ears open. Remember, we found out about that lab not because of the FBI or anything, but because of a building inspector in Redding, California, noticed that there was a hose connected to a building that was supposedly vacant. And so he then investigated it. um, And that's how we learned about this lab um, and its dangerous contents. Now, there would be no reason for that lab um, if it weren't for um, a desire, um, an attempt to spread disease in our country, which means you've got a lot of saboteurs who can carry those genetically engineered mice around the country. I mean, we know what COVID-19 did to hobble American society. We did it to ourselves, Imagine what it would be like if we had um, thousands of saboteurs with thousands of mice um, around our country. So there's no question. We have to pay attention. This is our country and we're going to have to report suspicious activities to the to the authorities. Um, You know, we Americans don't like telling on our neighbors, but this is a matter of national survival.
0: Absolutely. Also, I was going to ask you, Gordon, I'm, while you were talking, I was trying to skim this article and I was actually trying to look it up quickly. I know this Fresno lab is near some military U.S. military facility, you know. It is. It, it's near
1: um, the Navy's, one of the Navy's uh, um, uh, Naval Air Station, um, which they have um, when a carrier is in port, um, the planes fly off to someplace. Well, one of these places is within 100 miles of Redding, California. Now, there are military bases spread all over the country. So I don't know if if the location of the lab was dictated by the presence of that naval air station. But the point is, it doesn't really matter. What matters is that this was an obvious attempt to um, spread disease. And by the way, we only found one of them. That's not to say there's only one of them. Um, So we've got to be concerned about that.
0: The other point on the, Yes, I agree. And I will say the proximity to any U.S. military facility is just if the whatever it is being developed there, whatever is being stored there is released in the area is anywhere near a military facility. It compounds a danger to America. If you have American military in some way crippled by it or um, unable to. Do whatever they're supposed to be doing I'm pretty sure it was a naval air station because people the, the comment by another guest was you know if you get a bunch of pilots who can't take off because this has been released in that area um you have a problem okay yeah. I, and also just so the fresno lab is one thing and you know part of the reason i'll just go off for a second here part of the reason i want to have this whole conversation is i want america to be as concerned as they should be about what china has in mind for america and and you know the earlier part of our show we talked about well, we talked about first the unrestricted warfare. We talked about the speech by General Qi. The whole concept of how China sees the world is we're going to spread Chinese dominance, Chinese nationality dominance, and we're going to spread communism. And a few million or hundreds of million people dead in order to accomplish that was was sounded okay to this one guy. And, you know, it, it isn't as though this is the rantings of somebody in a an anonymous, um, you know, chat room on the internet who doesn't have any authority. This was a general in China speaking to high-level Chinese leaders. And I just raise all that to say I, I think these conversations are important not just to talk about the threat from China, but to then turn to what it is we are looking at in our, in our federal government today. We now have the Biden administration clearly having been, I mean, according to testimony presented in Congress, documents presented um that we have the CCP spreading in some way, circuitously, getting to the Biden family, something in the range of 30 to $50 million. That, that's what the Biden team has received from China. So China's the threat. They're not a minor threat, they're a big threat. And we have the Biden administration receiving money from them and therefore potentially compromised in how firmly they would react to what China is doing. you comment on that? Yeah, well, first of all,
1: um, General Xi, um He's not just some general. He was at the time um, was China's defense minister. But more important, um, he was sitting on the Communist Party's Central Military Commission, which is the body that is um, to which the Chinese military reports. So this is somebody in authority. Um, You know, the Biden family, um, this is um, this is just unprecedented. Um, And there's a number of different ways to look at it. Um, This really was brought home to me in the middle of March when a spokesperson for the Hunter Biden legal team said that, yeah, the the Biden family received a few million dollars from the Chinese energy company, CEFC. um, But this was, they said, quote, good faith seed funds. Well, in my mind, that's an admission of corruption because no Chinese state enterprise, Um, in the circumstances in question, would ever transfer such sums to the Biden family for good faith seed funds. There's no deal. There's no no commercial obligation, no contract. Nobody does that. So that's an admission that uh, the Biden family, in my mind, was an admission that the Biden family was taking money. Now, since that time, we've learned a lot more. It's gotten more ominous. But one thing that we know from the Chinese side that the Chinese believe that they have bought the Biden family. And I have to go back to November 28th, 2020, right after our election, uh, after Biden was elected president, but before he took office, a well-known Chinese academic, Di Dongsheng, gave a lecture to a live audience in Shanghai, and that lecture was live streamed across China, um, in which Di talked about how China could... um, uh, was looking forward to once again determining outcomes at the top of the Chinese political system. Dean mentioned that uh, prior to President Trump, um, China got what it wanted in the Oval Office because of Henry Kissinger and Wall Street, and that during the four years of Trump, that that connection had been broken, but that Beijing was looking forward to again um, uh, basically ruling the United States with the um, inauguration of President Biden. Um, And then he talked about uh, a lot of other things. But the biggest laugh that Dee got that time was when he mentioned four characters, the four characters that comprise the name
0: of Hunter Biden. Okay, I'm going to text you after this show and get a link to that. I did not have not heard that story. So this is after the claim that Biden won the election before he took office. This speech is going on in China, where he's essentially talking about uh, now we're kind of back in the driver's seat in America, to, short, to shorthand the term. Back in the driver's seat. Now we have Biden in office, which I will tell you, I, I spend a lot of time criticizing, uh, and I think justly, the failure of the, of the um, I mean, the danger that America faces because the Biden family, Biden administration is corrupted um, and compromised by uh, their t- receiving money from China. But I do also, I, I lay some blame at the fault of some Republicans, because it's a slim majority they have in the House, and they don't have the Senate. But a slim majority in the House could do a lot if they, I mean, I I picture if China bombed, you know, the city, some American city tomorrow. If a bomb came and it killed a bunch of people, you would see some bravery in the Republican uh, slim majority in the House just saying we're going to take action against China. And they they would find a way because they have the constitutional right. You know, they control the purse strings. They control overspending to say. We're going to X, Y, Z must happen or we're not going to fund things. I wish I could see the Republicans express a sense of urgency about America, that they would if there were a a bomb attack, a physical attack. I'd like to see them express that now, even though the attacks aren't yet physical. Did you share some frustration with Republicans not doing enough in the House or do you think they're doing all they can do? Well, I absolutely share that frustration.
1: We got to remember that um, there are a number of congressmen um, who and basically parent Communist Party propaganda. And not all of them are Democrats. Um, many of them are free trade Republicans. Um, so we've got a problem across both sides of the political spectrum. It's across the political spectrum. Um, and I'm not saying people are disloyal or treasonous. It's just that they believe the same things the Communist Party does. And th- so they are um, supporting Communist Party positions. And it is extremely distressing. Um, and as I said, it's not just Democrats. Um, it's also conservative Republicans. You know, with regard to the House, um, there is, as you say, a slim majority. Um, I know that Chairman Mike Gallagher of the Communist Party um, Committee wants to keep a um, consensus with between the Democrats and Republicans on this. But nonetheless, at some point, they need to exercise the powers of the purse to prevent the Biden administration from um, some of its China policies that are deeply, deeply injurious to the United States.
0: Absolutely. You know, when you think about the actions of the Democrats had a majority, how quickly they would go after Trump for things that, in my view, are not justified. We, we've, and this is obviously a, a, I'm expressing the frustration I feel that many uh, traditional Republican voters, that Republican voting base has, is, look, we have some power, let's please use it, because people are deeply concerned not just about China, but many other issues. They'd love to see some boldness out of the Republican leadership. But One more thing quickly. I want to turn to the, China's current economic uh, challenges because they do have some and, and what that means for whether China will continue to be so bold. But last thing I was going to mention, another great piece, I think that, yeah, it was from July. They had a great piece up at Gatestone Institute, China to wage war on America from the Arctic. And you were basically exposing that. And this was in the newspapers in China, um, rather Hong Kong's South China Morning Post reported that Shanghai based Polar Research Institute of China revealed China has completed the field testing and evaluation of underwater listening devices to be deployed on a large scale in the Arctic Ocean. So what's the danger of that? What's that all about?
1: Yeah, that is about China wanting to um, control the Arctic. Um, And first of all, they want to be able to listen for U.S. submarines uh, on their way to East Asia. And um, Canada, about, I guess, four or five months ago, maybe a little bit longer, actually started removing Chinese buoys um, from the Arctic inside Canada's exclusive economic zone. So those buoys shouldn't have been there. Um, but we are seeing um, basically China work very hard to uh, control the Arctic along with Russia. And there has been relatively little pushback from both uh, Ottawa and Washington on this. And it's not just Biden. It's been um, a long term failure um, to understand what China doing in the Arctic. But it's, it's not just the Arctic, of course. Um, we are seeing China trying to control our region. Um, China is being extremely influential across Latin America, um, and so we are becoming um, surrounded in our own hemisphere. Um, and this is this is part of a larger story of American neglect of what China is doing.
0: Absolutely. Actually, one point you had in this article, because these listening devices that China is putting is there underwater listening devices. China is putting. Uh, into the Arctic and uh, Arctic Sea, Arctic Ocean, they'll be able to detect submarines. At one point you make here, which I thought, because you know, I, I tell you all these stories, you have to spell out a little bit. So people say, oh, that's what they're up to. But you talked about the, um, this idea that the data they could gather, listening for submarines, especially American ones, they want to track and destroy American submarines from the top of the world before they can flood into Asian waters. And this idea, and you also were referring to, you mentioning Kissinger a moment ago, U.S.'s generous engagement approach to China, uh, where you're just trying to engage and connect and, you know, it will somehow work it out in a friendly way, uh, ends up resulting in China obtaining observer status, the Arctic Council. Um, anyway, we have engaged them to the point they're now spying on us and people think, well, America, we do have a strong military. If we have a problem, we'll send ships over there, we'll send submarines. China's anticipating that and setting up a capacity to stop us. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. I mean, uh, China calls itself a near Arctic
1: state, but it's nowhere near the Arctic. And it shouldn't be on the Arctic Council. Um, And why it's there, I don't know. I mean, there are legitimate Arctic states. You know, there's Canada, there's Russia, the United States, Denmark, um, Norway. but this is, uh, this is just wrong about the way the, um, um, the world has approached it. We sort of thought, oh, well, if China becomes a stakeholder in the international system, it will defend it. That goes back to Robert Zolik uh, when he was deputy secretary of state in 2005, giving that speech about China being a responsible stakeholder in the international system. I mean, that was a fond hope, but it was a naive one. Um, One could argue that was 2005, so Zolik had an excuse, but there's certainly no excuse now for engaging China. And this is the problem when we have um, senior Biden officials going to China, um, basically begging uh, the Chinese. We've now sent four senior officials. There's Blinken, Yellen, Kerry, and Gina Raimondo, um, who just returned. Um And there hasn't been a return visit from a senior Chinese official to Washington. Um, so this is what the engagement has turned out to be.
0: So is your point that by sending people over there, it, we're conveying weakness, we're conveying kind of a message of, we just want to get along, can't, you, can't we be nice to each other? And they're not responding in kind. Is that correct? Yeah, it's it's it's, I wish they were not responding,
1: but they're responding by being more belligerent. Because... When we do this, what we are reinforcing in the mind of Xi Jinping is that we are giving him the idea that we believe that we are supplicants. Remember, when we send an official to China, um, they view that as a vassal going to the Grand Celestial Court, as occurred during imperial era. Now, we have sent four senior officials to China without a return visit, as I mentioned. And and that is just in Xi Jinping's mind, thinking the United States is weak and is not a factor. Now, that's not true. Um, We can exercise power, but if Xi Jinping believes we won't exercise power, then deterrence is breaking down. If deterrence breaks down, then all sorts of bad things are going to occur. And, And we know that Xi Jinping's mentality is that he rules the world. That was his message on March 22nd of this year when he was bidding farewell to Vladimir Putin at the end of their 40th in-person chat, and then Xi Jinping said this, quote, change is occurring that hasn't happened in 100 years, and we, remember he's speaking to Putin, and we are driving this change together. That says Xi Jinping believes he's already boss of the world. So we live in an incredibly dangerous time, and we have a Biden administration and the senior leadership of the Pentagon has no sense of urgency.
0: Do you, you know, the Biden administration, I, I will say I, I a little bit, I, I think the money accepted, the willingness to accept bribes over time, it wasn't just one time, it was numerous times accepting money from the Chinese. They're so compromised, perhaps the Biden team, the Biden administration, it's like they can act. But what is it, what do you think? What accounts for the uh, high level thinking in the State Department, other places, are they actually sympathetic to communist ideology? So they don't care that, that China is just aggressive. What is the reason they wouldn't be on calling, you know, waving flags and trying to wake America up and, and defending ourselves against all this? Well, I don't know the answer to that question. Um,
1: I can give you a couple theories. Um, and one, and a couple, most of them are not benign. Um, the most benign one I can think of is that Blinken and, and Henry Kissinger basically live in the same building in New York City. And so um, Blinken, we know, has talked to Kissinger. Kissinger um, believes that we're on the brink of war. And so the benign explanation is that the Biden administration, through trying to establish channels of communication, is hoping to avoid a war um, by talking to the Chinese. Just like we, the, the, the argument is, well, we talked to the Soviets, Um, And that was essential for maintaining a general uneasy peace during the Cold War. Now, that sounds like it works. That sounds responsible. But the problem is, as I mentioned, we have emboldened the Chinese, the worst elements in the Chinese political system by showing them that we believe that we are weak. Now, Biden probably doesn't believe we're weak, but that doesn't matter what Biden thinks. What matters is what the Chinese think. And we know what the Chinese are thinking, and that Biden has actually um, reinforced that image. He also reinforced that image because he's not willing to hold the Chinese accountable for anything these days. You know, just before Micus um, was Blinken going over to um, the uh, China, you know, Biden was talking about this the spy balloon that flew over a country in January and February. Biden called it, "quote, this silly balloon." Well, not a silly balloon. Not, Silly balloon floated over actually didn't float. It was flown over our nuclear weapons sites. Um, So really, this is um, extremely serious. But Biden minimizing these things in public is doing two things. First of all, he's showing the Chinese that uh, Biden thinks he's either weak or naive. And he's not alerting the American people to the real risk of war because Xi Jinping is preparing China to go to war. Not to say that he will but he's preparing to go to war and we're not prepared to defend ourselves. We're not
0: doing it. Sim- uh, simply staggering. You know, one thing I want to try to hit today, um, there's been talk recently about China's eco- China ha- experiencing some economic weakness. There was a very recent story, Wall Street Journal, China's economy shows fresh weakness in factories, housing, consumer spending. And so the implication, of course, is these articles saying, well, people try to prop up china as a big threat to america but they've got their own internal problems you know they've got economic weakness so we maybe you we, uh, oughtn't be so worried as we are about what chinese china's intentions are because of their economic problems so first of all how what is the economic what are the reasons for the economic weakness right now that we're seeing in china and does that make them more emboldened or cause them to pull back from their boldness and be, you know, take care of their problems domestic problems instead of fighting America?
1: On on the first point, um, the reason is that uh, China has structural problems and those are deep fundamental problems that uh, Beijing is not dealing with. Matter of fact, Xi Jinping, who is, as um, somebody at CNBC, Brian Sullivan said, Xi Jinping's a super communist. And so what Xi Jinping is doing are those things that are weakening the Chinese economy. Um, And Xi Jinping is doing that for various ideological Maoist type reasons. Um, So basically, China has too much debt um, and it has an economy which is uh, not it's not possible to have sustainable economic growth. So right now, China is looks like it's contracting. The numbers, first batch of numbers from August, which I think the Wall Street Journal was referring to in that story you talked about, um, really showed the weakness in China. So the one thing that, the one number that really sticks out is that um, in August, the volume of sales of new apartments, new property in China, declined 34% year on year. The reason why that's important is because, Property sector accounts for somewhere between 25 to 30 percent of gross domestic product, um, and so property is at the heart of China, and the property sector is is collapsing, and um, that is uh, going to, I think, drive the Chinese economy into failure of some sort. It can be a long drawn out failure, but failure nonetheless. On the second question you asked, this makes China more dangerous, in my view. I think that you can manage a rising power because a rising power believes it has a stake in the international system, that it believes that over time it will prevail. So that inhibits um, belligerent activity on the part of a rising power. China is not a rising power. China is a falling power. And Xi Jinping realizes, uh, I believe, that he has a closing window of opportunity to achieve historic goals. And that means right now, Xi Jinping is starting, I think, to understand, or at least others in China understand, that Xi Jinping has two choices. He can let current trends um, take their course, which will lead to the failure of the Communist Party and the downfall of Xi Jinping. Or or he can rally the Chinese people with a war. And, um, you know, it's increasingly looking like that's what he's doing. We can talk about intentions all day, but we can see what China's doing to prepare to go to war. And so we've got to be deeply concerned about a weak China.
0: I actually, you know, that makes, I was talking to someone earlier before we were on the show about China and they they were making the same point about how, you know, we can hope that maybe these economic strains would weaken them or at least cause them to pull back from their aggression. But but what is more likely the case is it will embolden them because they're, they're like a, it's not exactly a trapped animal, but they're sort of frightened. They're they're upset. They're angry. and, and they, they want to strike out instead of just instead of just pull back and solve their own problems. Actually, really quickly, I, I don't want to run out of time to talk about your books and and um, uh, your um, and, and your Twitter uh, ha- Twitter page is simply wonderful. Um, but um, I want to ask you about this um. Okay, I'm trying to decide which way to go very quickly. Now, you know, I'm going to do this. Uh, yeah, there you go. We have your book. ahead. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, go ahead. So uh, I, I had asked uh, Ziggy. So I have a, a um, someone joining me today producing Ziggy, my former producer, The Coming Collapse of China uh, is one. Okay. And then um, and then there was, a, yeah, the US um, for our listeners, you should get all of these books. This next one's called The Great U.S.-China Tech War by Gordon G. Chang. Um, and, and the third one is China is Going to War, Gordon G. Chang. Gordon, are these books from, they're from Center for Security Policy? Is that right? Where can people get these?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's just on Amazon. Um, the Coming Collapse of China is old. Um, I think it outlines the problem, but it is old. Um, China is going to war is new, as is The Great U.S.-China Tech War. Um, but I archive, the most important thing is not the books. It's you can, I archive all my articles for free on my website, um, and I tweet about this as you mentioned at Gordon G Chang, G O R D O N G, C H A N G. Because you know, if you don't read the newspapers for a day or two, you can't call yourself a China expert. Actually. You know, Debbie, nobody's a China expert these days because China's closed itself off. So we know less and less about what's going on in China. We know that the developments in China are, I think, the most important and consequential in the world. But we don't know very much about them. Um, So this is a pretty frightening time. Um, But the important thing is just to keep up day by day and to have sort of a context in which to look at these things, because there's a lot of news but it's hard to understand significance um, without a context of China's um, overall attack on America
0: and the maliciousness of China's leader. Absolutely. For our listeners, again, I urge you to go to Twitter and to follow Gordon Changans at Gordon G Chang, G-O-R-D-O-N-G Chang, C-H-A-N-G. Just a great, well-informed uh, Twitter feed. I'll close with this because we're almost out of time. So I did go through your Twitter feed again this morning. I do follow you, I really enjoy what you post. I know you have several times, many, many postings where you're urging people to pray for America, urging people to turn to prayer. I will tell you, I can't tell you how many people that I've known for years who are political activists, national security experts, activists on all sorts of issues facing America. And This is a point you hear made more and more and more. People are concerned about the dire condition America's in, and they're are opening calls with prayer. They didn't used to do that. Closed calls with prayer and and talk about. We just need to pray for our country. We need God's help to get us through this mess. I want to commend you for saying that. And just ask you if you want to share anything about that. What what has you have you felt more recent years more drawn to urging others to pray for America? Yeah, I'm I, I'm concerned. You know, I was
1: never particularly religious, um, but I've been concerned about. Um, I hate to use the word but I will use it because I think that it is um, appropriate um, that the evil that we see in our society, that freedom is under attack both internally and domestically, that we are in a dire situation and um, I believe that moral societies can defend themselves, Um, societies of the faithful can defend themselves. And so I believe it is necessary for us to find our roots and whether that is Christianity or Judaism or Islam, um, I believe that we need to talk to God um, because that is the solution to all problems.
0: What an incredibly perfect uh, note to end our interview on. First of all, Gordon Shang, I know you're in highly in demand and I'm just so grateful you were available today. Uh, you're just a wealth of knowledge. I could, we could talk two more hours. I have more questions, but we are out of time. I want to thank you so very much for joining me today. Thank you very much.
1: Oh, well, thank you, Debbie. Um, you raised such important issues. So I really appreciate the opportunity to talk to you.
0: Thank you so much. I'll tell our listeners very quickly the next few weeks, next few Thursdays. Uh, congressman Keith Self will be back in my studio in Dallas with in-person. Uh, congressman Keith Self is joining us a week from uh, today. He happens to be my congressman. He's also done a great job standing up on some amazing issues. Uh, Michael Quinn Sullivan's the following week. He heads up Texas Scorecard. Just did a beautiful, beautiful documentary, The Texas Heist, talking about how the Texas state house has been overtaken by the democrats despite republicans vote for a republican majority uh now following thursday dr miriam grossman she's a new york city psychiatrist new book out talking about the transgender movement and it has no validity at all in the world of actual scientific psychiatry and psychology she's a great author great speaker very brave so my very fine friends, thank you so very much for tuning in to America Can We Talk today. And for also for going along with this uh, not studio appearance. I love doing the show while we're out here on vacation. But thank you for tuning in to America Can We Talk. Our website is americacanwetalk.org. My name is Debbie George The show is called America Can We Talk. I do this show every day to speak truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time.
1: we talk truth about America.